So it's kind of a little bit of a dangerous thing this morning. Uh, we have three preachers here. Uh, that that's kind of a that can that can be a scary thing. You know, we might, you might be thinking, "Oh no, we're going to be here for a while." Well, hopefully, I'm I'm only going to be the one to preach, but you never know. Uh, you know. But, uh, to, we have uh, my dad with us this morning, but also Jesse, and so we uh, we might just break out into as some of our friends do and have church all day. No, uh, no, we're going to try to keep it down. We're going to try to we'll try to keep it down to our normal timing. But nonetheless, I do want to say real quick that uh, I really shouldn't be the one up preaching. Uh, I've had several people actually that are here today tell me that they really like really enjoyed uh, Dad's sermon last time he was here, and uh, I've never heard them actually say that about my sermon. So, I fe- you know, I kind of I kind of feel a little inadequate today that that there's actually sort of the great one among us, but nonetheless, uh, we'll uh, we'll do our best to present the gospel. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter nine, the gospel according to Matthew, and we want to look at this episode in Jesus's life. And in the gospel that is recorded here, interestingly, this is uh, actually this portion here is recorded by all three of the what we call similar gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, th- this story makes it into all three of them. So yeah, that, that can sometimes be a, an important note to, to understand. Uh, and, and each case is from a sort of a different perspective. If you want to go look at it, you go just go look it up today and look at some of the references between. We're going to stick with the Matthew passage. This is right after the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pick up reading here in verse 18 of chapter 9. Notice this. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I can touch His garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, He said to them, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at Him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. May we be in awe of Your Word. By the power of Your Spirit, would You speak some things that we need to hear today into our spirit, and may we then respond to that Word in faith and obedience and love. We pray in Your most holy name. Amen. Amen. There's a new thing I read about this week that, uh, that surprised me. It's called cuddle parties. Have you heard about this? Yes. Cuddle 
parties. These are parties where people, adults, come together and they cuddle with each other. They, they, for lack of a better word, they spoon with each other. They touch each other. They hug on each other for about an hour. These are called cuddle parties. I don't know that I could participate in one of those. Uh, Jessica could attest to that. She, she married someone that has a tough time staying still for any length of time, uh, unless you want to, you know, just be doing this the whole time. Uh, I, it's hard for me to cuddle, but but here's the point of, of this. I read a little bit about it. Here's the point of these things is that that people are missing the human touch and they're having to try to find ways to get that touch. They don't have communities of faith like ours where we embrace one another, where we shake hands, where we hug, where we speak words of love to one another. We love you. I love you. I'm praying for you. They don't have that, so they're creating that in these cuddle parties. Now, our faith, and we've been talking about this, we just introduced right this new sermon series called instead of the force awakens, faith awakens. And one of the points I want you to to hear over and over again is that faith is something that we can see. It is something that we can touch. And so today, I want to talk about, not, not a cuddle party, but instead, this thing of faith touching us. God's grace touching us. Now, this is really fascinating. Uh, when you begin to really look at the world's religions, and I've, I've taken a, quite a gander at most of them, all of them, the major ones, and, uh, and here's what you're going to find. They don't like the material world. They don't like it. Buddhism, Hinduism... It's all dirty. It's all bad. We're trapped in this body. If we could simply, you know, get enlightened, we would see this is all actually an illusion. I mean, there's all sorts of weird ideas floating around out there. And even in some of the monotheistic faiths, such as Islam or Judaism, they still look at the body as suspect. As something not good, the material world. Is, and here's where the real kicker comes in. This is what, you ever want to talk to somebody about what the difference is about Christianity and the world's religions? It's this, God became a baby. God became a boy. God became a pubescent teenager. God became a young adult. God became... A man. He took on flesh and all of its dirtiness and trappings and headaches and stomach viruses and all the things that we deal with in this body of keeping it up and washing it. God, do you hear that? Took all of that onto Himself. He chose to do that. That is unthinkable in any other religion. You don't cross that line. God is spiritual only and a big period at the end. Not this God. Not Jesus. And Jesus is the center of our faith. He is ground zero. He is the core 
William Temple, a theologian back in the day, said Christianity is the most materialist religion of all. And it's true. We don't have a faith that only sticks in our head. That's only about philosophical principles in a book. No, we're talking about something more. We're talking about meeting a person. And that's always a very physical thing, isn't it? Looking into the face of someone. You know the limitations of texting. You can't nuance things in an email. It's tough to. People get sideways with each other all the time on Facebook posts or on email. But when you look into somebody's face, don't things become clearer? The reality is this. God has shown us His face in Jesus Christ. (laughs) There is no religion that even comes close to that. Nothing. So, touching grace. If we're supposed to touch grace, and again, what we're doing is going through the five senses. Last week we looked at uh, sight, seeing. Today we're talking about touching, which is something, you know, we, we, we need. I mean, just like the cuddle party is a show. We need human touch. Babies need human touch. I mean, just go and look up the studies on it. It's unbelievable. You need a human touch. Touch. We are not meant to be alone. You say, well, I'm not really that much of a touchy person. It's okay. You still need to be around people. Trust me, everybody needs a loving touch. And we need God's grace to touch us. But what is grace? Most people define grace just simply unmerited favor. I mean, that's, that's probably the, the most popular definition that circulates around in evangelicalism. And, and that's, that's okay. It is unmerited favor. Unwarranted, undeserved love, whatever, mercy. Uh, but it's more than that. You see, it's not just that God sort of gives us a piece of paper called grace. No, no, no. When God gives us His grace... He gives us Himself. His grace is Himself. That's how. He, that's why Paul will talk about all the time the grace of the Lord Jesus, the grace of God. It's not some other part, some fourth thing that God gives out. No, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's who grace is. It's not just a what, but a who. And if we're going to bump into grace, we must bump into God. And there are certain ways that God has designed for us to receive His grace. We call it oftentimes in Methodism, the means of grace. In other words, avenues, roadways. I like to think of it as faucets and light switches. You know how they work, right? I actually had to deal with one this morning and I had trouble because my line was frozen. Uh, but nonetheless, we, I think we made it through fine. But you know how it works? You turn on the faucet and what happens? The water's supposed to come out. Grace, when we do it, when we interact with grace, 
these means of grace, these avenues of grace, it's like turning a faucet on. It's like switching a light on. The, the switch itself is not the power, right? Power comes from somewhere else, right? It's not created right there on that switch, trust me. But the switch must be turned on for the power to be unleashed. For the water to come out, we have to turn the faucet. And God's grace, trust me, is ready to be entered into your life. He wants to pour out His grace on you, but must turn that faucet on. We've got to switch the light. If we're ever to receive His power, He has told us some ways to do that. There are two people in our story. Two women, actually. A girl, about 12 years old, we're told in uh, Mark. And a woman who received God's grace. Let's look for just a minute at what happens here and how it is that they actually do that. The first thing that you're going to notice here in this, and by the way, this passage is, a, is just a beautiful passage of Scripture, the way it's lined out. Here's one thing that constantly surprises me about Jesus, is that He gets interrupted quite a bit. Now, that's actually... Kind of my life story, you know. I'm sitting over here working on something. I'm deep in theological thought or whatever it is, trying to write this or that. And I've got kids pulling on me or whoever, you know, or a wife calling me. i I got people pulling on me from all over the place. And I get interrupted. Sometimes it's frustrating. Jesus doesn't ever seem to be frustrated when people interrupt Him. We actually have looked at several interruptions. Uh, remember when the guy come through? ceiling? He was preaching, man. That'd be like me just tearing it up right here and then all of a sudden being interrupted. In this right here, if you read right before verse 18, Jesus is actually speaking about something important. I mean, it would always be important come from Him. And yet, He gets interrupted by a fellow who comes in and says, look, my daughter is dead. You know, He could have just said, you know, she's dead. Let's mourn. Let's go back to life as normal. This is what happens. But He didn't. Instead, he had faith in Jesus to raise his daughter from the dead. Now this is big because this is actually the first time anybody has been raised from the dead by Jesus. In other words, he hasn't done that. He's cast out demons. He's stopped the storm. You know, he's, he's uh, healed people already. But he has not raised someone from death. Until our story. Now, this man apparently was reading his Old Testament. Because that's the only place he would have understood that the Messiah, Christ, could raise the dead. And so he asked Jesus, look, but, so death, but, if you come, life. Death, but if you come, life. Notice, if you lay your hand on her. Verse 18. So here is someone interceding for another. In other words, praying for another on their behalf. That's what intercession is. It's me standing in the gap for you. 
for another. They may not even understand it or think about it, but I'm praying for them and God gets moving, the Scripture says. God will respond to prayer, to intercession. And this is what happens here, is this man asks Jesus to do something on behalf of his daughter. And says, if you will touch her, she will live. Now, I love verse 19. This really surprised me. And by the way, if you need a Bible, it's right there in the basket if you would like to follow along. And Jesus rose and followed him. Now, you get a lot of times, don't you? Jesus saying to someone, follow me. And it says, and they followed him. Now we have this interesting text here that Jesus followed him. Why? Because of intercession. He was there on behalf of another. God likes that. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me back in the Old Testament where, where Abraham, you remember this? The three angels, which really are God here in this, in this come to visit Abraham. And in, at the end of that conversation, they say, God says, you know what? Should I share what I'm about to do with my friend Abraham? And he says, you know what? I actually am going to share what I'm about to do. And when he does that, he basically lets Abraham know about a need. And Abraham begins to intercede. You remember? What about 50, Lord? What about 45, 40, on down the line? He intercedes on Sodom and Gomorrah's behalf. On his nephew's behalf. And God says, yeah, I won't destroy the place if that's the case. Think about Moses. God says, I'm done. Let's just destroy this people and start over. You ever wanted to do that? Don't answer that. Um, shh, don't, don't, don't answer that. Say, I, I just really would like to just start over with the people in my life. You know? uh, well, <laughs> God says, I'm just going to start over Moses and we're going to start this thing over with you, big guy. Moses says, no, 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 that's not, that's not you, Lord. That's not you. That's not who you are. Interceding on their behalf. The prophets do it as well. David does it in the Psalms. He, David, all, even in David's penitential prayer in Psalm 51, at the very end, after he's been praying it for himself the whole time, he says, Lord, please remember Jerusalem. He's always concerned with another. If our praying never moves from our own list to others, then we're not praying according to the Scriptures. Amen. We must intercede on others' behalf. They need it. People in this room need your prayers for them. And when you start praying for another, I think God acts. I think He goes and touches those people. That's what we pray often, isn't it? Lord, touch them. I'm telling you, this faith thing, this thing of grace is something that can be felt, touched. We're not just speaking metaphorically. Because when God gives us these avenues of His grace, one of those avenues is baptism. We feel the water. Today, even here, you're going to dip your finger in this water and place it on your forehead. You're going to feel the water in order to remind yourself of your baptismal vows that were made maybe long ago, maybe recently. 
when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we put it in our mouth. We feed on Him, yes, in our hearts, but also in our digestive tract. This is not something that is only in the spiritual realm. We, as humans, the Scripture will describe, hang between heaven and earth. We're very, very, very earthly. Constantly trying to cover up our fluid outtake. Constantly trying to take care and maintenance this body. I mean, it's a daily chore, isn't it? And yet, very spiritual. We're not just animals and we're not angels. We're right there in between, the Bible says. That's how God made us. Right. He likes that. And you know what He's done for us? He, <laughs> this, this is just, I, I, every time, I mean, this, you know, as a teacher, some, the danger really, and as a preacher, really, the danger is getting tired of the story. Mm-hmm. Getting, getting bored with what you're teaching. This is something that never tires for me. God, who is spirit. Yes has chosen to send His Son to become one of us. Flesh and blood. To die for us and resurrect to lead the way to life eternal. You see, God now has placed humanity in His very heart. It's not just something He thinks about. It's not something he just has to remember. I need to remember those humans to like them. No, when God is on his throne in heaven, he just looks to the right hand, and there is a human there. And the Bible says that human prays on our behalf, intercedes continually for us. And that the Spirit who lives in us then speaks back to God even when we don't know what to say. He knows the Father's heart well enough to know what needs to be said. That's the work of God. So that when you pray, you're doing literally the work of God. I I don't even know what to do with that. (laughs) Other than to do it. Amen. And prayer is a primary means, avenue, faucet, light switch of grace. When you start praying, you just turn on the light. Now granted, sometimes you turn on the light and it's you know, like these fluorescent lights. Especially when it's cold out in my garage, they take a little bit to heat up. You know what I mean? A little dent, but once they get going. And sometimes our prayers are like that, you know? Start praying like... I'm not seeing anything. Just keep praying. The power's there. It's going to come on. Trust me. The water's going to come. I promise. Because He promises it. His promises never fail. Never. His track record is perfection. He will never fail us. Now, Jesus gets interrupted again. He's on his way now. He's following Jairus. That's actually the guy's name we learn in Mark and, and Luke. Uh, Jairus, who's actually part of the uh, synagogue, he was a leader, actually. 
And, and so now Jesus following him to go see his daughter, who we're told is about 12 years old, dead. And he gets interrupted by this woman with a discharge of blood. Now this was probably a menstrual issue. She had it for 12 years. And we say, oh man, I don't know why the Bible would <laughs> tell us something like that. We don't really want to... Do you understand that if you had a discharge of blood, you could not enter the temple? Not even the courts of the temple. You could not attend any worship services. And for 12 years, more than likely, she has been prohibited from even being around people. Do you know that if she was to even touch you, you would have to go make amends with the priest for being unclean? There were certain laws and regulations that if you had a blood flow, you had, especially your menstrual cycle, then you had to, if you touched anybody, they were unclean. And we're not allowed to go in. And now she sort of sneaks up because she's obviously nervous. She knows that she touches Jesus and he realizes it, that he's going to be unclean. He's not going to be able to go into the synagogue and teach. And she touches just the hem of his garment. So as not to touch him, actually, just the hem of his garment. And he, and he stops. We're told actually in, 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 the, in the Mark reading and the Luke reading, we're actually told he stops and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who just touched me? Mm-hmm. And it actually says that Peter kind of got agitated and said, Lord, my goodness, there's people all around you bumping into you, throwing it. I mean, this is like a mosh pit in here. What do you mean who touched? He said, no, no, no. I felt the power yes. of God yes. leave me. Somebody touched me. Right. And he's looking around. And this woman says, uh, actually, it was, it was me. You know, it was kind of, I feel like she probably felt like I have at certain times when, when all of a sudden I try to do something, you know, and then all of a sudden all the attention is brought on me. And I'm like, by the teacher, you know, what was that? Oh, um, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't mean to, <laughs> didn't mean to do that. I uh, didn't mean to make a commotion. And, and there she was. And Jesus does something really interesting. He says, and I think what he's doing is he's saying, you know what? This is not magic. Because this is what we always fall into, right? You know, if something works one time, we're like, oh yeah, let's do that again the same way, and we'll get the same result. That's not how, no, no, no. No, magic is forbidden in the Bible. Did you know that? Actually, it's forbidden in the Old Testament. You you don't don't practice magic. Um, Jesus stops, and He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. In other words, this is not, I don't have a magical coat on. This is, I, I think this is why God never left a trace for us. Is because if we, if we found His sandal, we'd put it up here and worship it. We'd want to touch it. We'd make an idol out of it. And so, so to show that my coat is not the power of God, but it was the power of God that instead healed you, Jesus stops and says, hang on guys, whoa, somebody touched me, I need to know who it was. Your faith did this. In other words, you turned the faucet. It wasn't just that you touched my coat. It was that you touched grace by your faith. And I love that he calls her daughter, even though we're told she's a woman. And he's going to see a daughter, isn't he? I love this, this passage. Is, this passage is filled with what we call a chiastic structure. Which is, you have one thing showing up here and it shows up again at the back. And kind of makes like a sandwich. It's sort of like, we'll talk about this in our Wednesday night class, but it kind of makes like a sandwich. This is what this text does. 
Notice, next, he gets back on his way. It says instantly she was healed, so he's on the way. Now, the next thing happens, he sees this commotion outside, you know, Jairus' house. And this was normal, you know. They didn't have iPods or, or radios back in the day, so they actually had to pay people to come in to play sad music. I mean, and this is just something they did. You can make fun of them if you want to, but that's just what they did. And so these were professional people who were there to help you mourn, basically. Set the scene. Just like a, nurse, uh, just, nurse, just like a funeral home does, uh, they help set, kind of set the scene to, for you to mourn. This is what they were doing. And so Jesus comes and said, oh, listen, he, she's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. That's not really something you want to do to God, is it? Just like kind of laugh at Him, you know? But they don't realize this is God. And they laugh at Him because He says that she's just sleeping. Now, the early Christians would have also described death as sleeping. You hear Paul, don't you, in 1 Thessalonians? Those who sleep in the faith. It means they're dead. But for Christians our eyes are going to come open again. It doesn't matter what happens to your body when you die. No matter the deterioration. He will put us back together. He will, we will rise again just as He did. And, and to me, friends, that is, that is true hope. I mean, you know, at Nana's funeral I told you that I shared that particular thing. This woman will rise again. That's good news. You're going to rise again. If you die in the faith, you will rise to eternal life. And those who do not die in the faith will rise to eternal destruction. They laugh at Him at this saying. But when the crowd was put aside, when you're reading the Gospels, just watch how many times Jesus has to deal with the crowd. Seriously. That man couldn't get to Jesus, remember, because of the crowd, so he had to come through the, through the roof. Do whatever it takes to cut through the crowds right. in your life right. to get to Jesus. Amen. Don't listen to the crowds. Right. Push through them. Do what it takes like that woman to get there to touch Him. That's what faith does. It puts, you're putting yourself in every position to receive His grace. You're praying. You're reading the Scriptures. You're seeking after Him. You're not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together at church or in small group. You're doing what it takes to receive His grace and to cut through the nonsense in our world. And notice this. Jairus said, lay your hand on her. The woman with the issue of blood laid her hand on Him. Now... Jesus takes her by the hand. Don't you love that? Look, I just, you, I'm telling you, the Scripture is just a beautiful thing when you really start studying it. I'll just be honest with you. I've never, never ceased to be amazed by the Scripture. He now takes this little girl's hand. And He actually talks to her in Aramaic. He says, Talitha Kumai. Which is, little girl, I say to you, arise. Here in Matthew's account, it says he took her by the hand and the girl arose. Because here's why. No matter how dead you are in your sins, when Jesus touches you, you're made alive. You're born again. 
This is the language used in the Bible for our salvation. When you're dead, you can't touch Christ. He must touch you. But when you've been made alive in Christ, we must now touch Him for His cleansing. To be made well. This is sanctification. We must be saved. Absolutely. And we must be made holy. Absolutely. This is our calling as Christians. Amen. It's not done when He touches you. That's the beginning. That's the first touch. Now it's our turn to reach out with our whole being. As Dad prayed just a moment ago, with our whole self, with our body included, and touch Jesus. And we'll receive His grace when we do that. We will rise again. We will be made well, whole. We need the touch of God in our life. We need human touch. And the body of Christ is the place for that. Notice even the terminology, the body of Christ. That's the description for the church. Not an organization. Not a business. Not a boring government. No, a body. You see, Jesus is all about touching people with His grace. And He calls His church, He calls His body to do the same. It is now our turn to touch others with the grace of God. And that's the second means of grace. Not just individual, you know, holy things such as prayer and Scripture reading fellowship and all those good but acts of kindness to the poor to the needy to those who are in need of a touch you see the real prerequisite for receiving his grace for being made well to being made whole or being healed is that you understand you're sick and those of us who still deny that we are sick will never be healed we will never rise again if we don't die to ourself. So this morning, turn on God's grace in your life. It's just a prayer away. It's just a Bible reading away. It's just a church service away. It's just a small group meeting away. That's where we are touched by God's grace. Those are His means for us to receive Him into our life. Again, grace is not a what, but a who. When we touch grace, we're touching Jesus our Savior. And these points of contact, just like baptism, the Lord's Supper, what we're doing now is where we'll meet Him. Allow Him to touch you today by faith. We all need that touch. And then touch others with God's grace. It doesn't take a cuddle party to do that. We have a host of ways at the back table and certain missions that we do here at this church where you can reach out and touch those who are sick. 
those who are imprisoned, those who need it most. Will you do that? Will you say yes to God? Because when you do, just as the two ladies here, you'll be healed. You'll rise again. And that's good news, my friends. Amen.